0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Last week, as we were talking about uh, doing one service here, the first service of the year, um, the guys are like, "Why don't you do like a special message?" And so I, uh, all week, just been. I pray. I start writing words down, songs down, uh, scriptures down, and. Uh, I found myself actually writing, uh, I guess, a post for our social media platforms uh, to just uh, bring in the new year, and and as I was writing that, a sermon came out of it, and I realized I can't post a sermon that people only read for about three minutes, and this is like 40 minutes worth of reading here, but um, as I started it out, I'd like to just read what I wrote down, and it'll set up where we're going um, this morning. But um, it says, and I quote, I quote myself, I guess. So, yes, (laughs) I quote. Strange. If you are like most people, you head into the new year with hope and expectations that it will be a great year for you and your loved ones. We set new goals, make resolutions, change diets. Amen. Make new commitments with our time all in an attempt to better our life in the new year. But as we begin to pursue our new goals and expectations, we are faced with the reality of the unexpected. Each new year is filled with difficult, unexpected events that we would have never chose for our life. But none of these unexpected events surprise God. God foresees them and allows them for a greater purpose which is his plan and purpose for our lives. And then we quoted, I quoted, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things do work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And so as we move into 22, may we fix our hope and our expectations on God's plan for our life, a plan that is clearly outlined in his word and is lived out by those whom he has redeemed. And um, what I'd like to do this morning with our remaining time is just, you know, talk about that. I, I'm, not, I'm horrible at putting titles on messages, but if I were to put a title summarizing where we're about to go, it would be um, pressing through the unexpected. And, um, and I was listening to a, a pastor a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about this year. He was reflecting on it. He was being interviewed on the news, and um, he began to talk about the world, and said that many people were frustrated. Um, He says there's a lot of distrust and division, and now I quote him, and he goes, and this is the answer. People need to find meaning and purpose in this world, and I heard that, and I thought, yeah, that's true. We do need to find purpose and meaning in this world, but we better make sure that The purpose that we are looking for is God's purpose for our life. Amen? We need to become captivated by God's purpose for our life. This world is absolutely more unstable than ever, and and it's filled with uncertainty and instability. There are lots of people trying to capitalize on this there are lots of leaders and people of power and people of influence that have a very strong opinion of what we should think and and how we should live our lives as a result of what's going on in the world from politicians to big tech ceos to leaders in our government agencies different scientists and doctors and the list of all of that commentators on mainstream media, they all have strong opinions. People are on a mission to make us think like they think and to live our lives as they think we need to live our lives. But when, when man's plans do not line up with God's plans, there is going to be some serious problems plaguing our land. There's going to be divisive, devastating impacts on marriages and families and, and, and friendships. It's going to affect neighbors and neighborhoods. It's going to affect relationships in the workplace. And, and, and it's going to affect relationships within this place, the church, the body of Christ. And it's my conviction that this is not going to change anytime soon. There have always been people and there will always be people who want to control our lives... And, and just control the people in their world. To them power and, and influence and control is intoxicating. And, and, you know, but the good news is that God also has an opinion for our life. Amen. God has a, a purpose and a plan for our life. And for all of us who do love him and are called according to his purpose, we can rest in the fact that he's going to work all things in our life for the good. That is his purpose. As we move forward in life, it is very important that we we have goals. It's important that we set our sights towards those goals and don't let anything distract us from or deviate from those goals or meeting those goals. Last week, you know, the legend John Madden Passed away. He was 85 years old, and I was listening to people reflect upon his life, and they kept summing his life by saying, You know, he is football. He is football. His life was football. As I think about us as Christians, what what should sum up our life? I like what the Apostle Paul had to say, and I'm going to use him as an example this morning in various scriptures applying to his life or scriptures he's penned down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he said in Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, for me, for me myself, to sum up my life, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We, we live out whatever we are alive to. Paul was alive to Christ. And even as he looked at the next life that comes through death, death was gained to him because he would finally be with the one that he's been living for. Knowing Christ intimately created a longing to be with him eternally. That was the Apostle Paul. He would go on to say in verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit from my labor, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. In other words, Paul's like, you look at that and you go, there's a guy that had absolutely learned to rest in God's will and God's purpose for his life completely. That would include how the Lord would use his life, where the Lord would use his life, and for how long the Lord would use his life. If it's God's will that I stay on the earth another day, great. This will mean fruit from my labor. (laughs) Whatever God will, will produce in my life, that's great. He gives me one more day, go for it, God. But if that was the last day, he was okay with that. He was just absolutely consumed by the purpose of God, by the plan of God for his life. I'm not sure how you see your life today as a believer, but God sees your life with great, with great significance. He sees you as significant. I always like to say, as we're praying with people, when God saves you, he does with a great purpose in mind. His his desires to work in you initially through salvation, but then at that point, it's like, now I begin to work through you. And that speaks of Service Philippians 2:13 Paul would say for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure even the the will to do God's plan even the will to fulfill God's purpose God works that in us it's an amazing thing but Paul would would talk about his life. He would boil his life down again in one phrase in Philippians 3, verse 10, where he would say that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. He didn't say, listen, when I, when I look at my life, it's not that I just would know about him. Lots of people know about Christ. He says, no, that I might, that I might know him. And the, the word there. Is, is a word, epigenosis, that speaks of an experiential, ongoing knowledge of Him that comes through relationship. Amen. Some people get really excited when I preach around here. I just want you to know. They're just running up here to get saved. I haven't even given the invitation yet. He's clapping on the way out, too. <laughs> I love it. Let the boys be boys. Stay in your seat, though, please. Paul said that I might know him. That's the difference between religion that Paul came up with and the relationship that he began the moment he was converted on the Damascus Road. It's knowing Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for our life. That's a life-changing experience. There is that line that Paul crossed from religion to relationship, and he was never the same. People that know about Jesus are not necessarily changed. They're not going to be changed by him. They can look and act very religious on the outside, but they are unchanged on the inside. Paul experienced Jesus. By the time he had written those words, he had known him for over a couple of decades, maybe three decades. Jesus had appeared to him. We're going through the book of Acts. We're going to see that he appears to, to Paul in a dungeon in Jerusalem. He's going to send an angel to talk to him on the deck of a ship that's about to sink. Over and over, Jesus worked mightily in and through his life for over 30 years. That's that's why he's saying, oh, that I might know him. And again, that word is, the phrase is in the, the, the present passive tense. Oh, that I might keep knowing him. He was not like living in this past experience with Jesus he was not satisfied with last year's experience with Jesus or yesterday's experience with Jesus he's in prison writing this he is about to appear before Nero and he's saying oh oh, man oh that I might know that I might experience him right now that's who I need right now that's my life right now more of him you know, many Christians have the life of faith that they that they live, and then they have the life of faith that they're going to live. <laughs> Every time I go to a retreat or to a conference, and God gets my attention, I start thinking about, man, I I gotta pray more, I gotta read more, I gotta, and that's the life of faith I'm going to live. Paul broke through all of that. It actually became this ongoing experience of knowing jesus more intimately each day he began to walk with christ he began to obey christ he began to be used by christ he began to experience the power of christ and when he began to experience that he would see how how powerless the law was he would see how powerless his work was to deal with the issues of sin in his life. Knowing Christ and experiencing Christ, the power of Christ enabled him to overcome sin and, and to fulfill his ministry, the plan of God for his life, and to press through the unexpected challenges of his life. He wrote in such personal words, very like, you don't say these things unless you really have an ongoing relationship with Jesus, where he'd say in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, and gave himself for me. What would sum up Paul's life in just those scriptures? Knowing Christ personally, living for Christ passionately and longing to be with Christ eternally. And that was, that was God's plan for his life. It was not always the case with Paul. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And we know that, that he had parents. And like every good set of parents, they have plans for their children And we knew that they wanted their child, the parents of Paul's plan for their child, that he would be a a good Jewish boy, that he would practice the faith. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he's reflecting back on his life before Christ. And he goes all the way back to his childhood. He's like, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This is a very devout family, very devout parents that raised him in a very devout way in Judaism. They had a plan for his life. His rabbis coming up would have had a plan for his life. At the age of 14, he would have sat at the feet of one of the most renowned happening rabbis, a man by the name of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel would have absolutely had a plan for Saul's life. That's what rabbis, that was part of their role in your life. As we move forward, we see Saul in his maturing years. He's getting into maybe his his 30s. And he's, he's an accomplished rabbi. We see him interacting with the high priest. And the high priest had a plan for Saul's life. And part of that is that he would be this very trusted or entrusted Pharisee. Probably even on the council of the Sanhedrin. The high priest would have had a lot of say-so. A lot of influence. A lot to say about Saul's life. Before Paul was converted... He had a plan for his own life. If you went up to him prior to his conversion, a day before his conversion, and said, hey, sum up your life. What's, the, what's your plan for your life? He would say, there's this threat against Judaism, and I'm, I'm going I'm to stomp it out. I'm all about persecuting this church. I'm all about, he would tell you that, and he would say, and I'm all about, my plan is to gain Righteousness or gain right standing with God by keeping the law. That would have been Paul's plan for his life. If he, was, if he was meeting with you the day before a new year and you would say, hey, what do you want to do in the coming year? He would have told you about his plan, maybe the high priest's plan, or his future past rabbi's plan for their life. People of great influence But God had a plan for his life. Once Paul would encounter Jesus, he was genuinely converted, and his life was never the same. He was no longer about his parents' plan or his his rabbi's plan or the high priest's plan. It was no longer about his personal plan. He would say there in Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11, what things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for Christ, Indeed, that I would count them as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count that stuff as rubbish, that I might gain Christ to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which I tried to convince myself I had by keeping the law. But that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And that's what he would go on to say, as we read earlier, that I might just know him and the power of his resurrection. It was all about God's plan for Paul's life from the moment that he met Christ. Knowing Christ intimately, living for Christ passionately, and just longing to be with Christ eternally. Was Paul ever tempted to deviate from God's plan for his life? Sure he was. Every convert, if they were honest, down through the ages, would tell you that they have been tempted to deviate from God's plan from their life as well. But Paul set his sights on God's plan for his life, and he he really did stay the course. And when he was hit with the reality of the unexpected, he stayed the course. He would write in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 11 And 12, chronicling all the suffering that he would endure. He's like, you know, to the present hour, I'm dealing with hunger and thirst and and having a hard time getting clothes and being beaten and homeless. I labor a lot. But while we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we're defamed, we entreat. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he would build that list and talk about the times that he had been beaten with, stripes, beaten with rods, stoned and, and, and shipwrecked, and 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 just left for for peril and living a life of sleeplessness and 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 then this heavy burden even that he had of just the burden for the church. But when he was hit with the reality of the unexpected, he stayed the course. And he would write in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, for our light affliction is but for a moment, and it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things which are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's like, yeah, yeah, life is difficult. He knew that no matter, though, how much it hurt in the here and now, it was like nothing compared with the hope and the healing that he would experience throughout eternity with Jesus. Speaking to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20, he begins to talk to them about, you guys know that when I came to you, man, I, 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 I lived with all humility and, and with many tears and many, many trials. And then he talks about going from house to house and preaching the gospel and all of that, telling people they needed to repent. That was my, my mission. And he's like, and even now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are going to happen to me. So it's just, he looks into the future and he expects more challenge. But he's like, but the Holy Spirit testifies in all of these places. He affirms in my heart that tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy. When, 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 when Paul got hit with the reality of the unexpected, he stayed the course. He knew God's plan. And he stayed faithful to God's plan all the way through to the end of his life. He would write in that last writing in 2 Timothy verse 4, or verse 7 of chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a victorious moment it would be to look back over the years, over our mistakes and over our losses, and and even over victories, and say, I I have fought the good fight. I, I, I was determined and I did not quit. Finally, he would say, There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing, to all who were focused on him. It's interesting. Paul looked back on his life, on his walk, on his calling with no regrets. The Lord was faithful. He stayed the course because God was faithful. And this is for us as well. He talks about loving his appearing. He would say in chapter 3, verse 20 of Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven for which... We also eagerly await or wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God, or for Paul, excuse me, God's plan or course for his life was this 30 year long marathon that winded through the Roman Empire a few times. A course that had long seasons of nothing but uphill running. Long days in the deserts, long days in the valleys. But what a victorious moment it must have been for him to look back over his life when he knew that it was coming to a close and go, I just didn't quit. I was determined. And for all of us as believers, God has a set course for our life as well. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12:1 and 2, it tells us, that as we run that course, we are to let, lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and, the, and, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the focus. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We've all been given a unique course. You have yours, I have mine. You're to run yours, I'm to run mine. I'm not to run yours, you're not to run mine. And there are times when the course is very difficult. But no matter what course God has set before us, we can finish it. God has set out the course. We finish because our creator and our savior has charted each of our courses with us in mind, with his plan for us in mind. He knows just how much uphill we need. He knows how, much, how many turns we need. He knows how much unexpected events we need. And the only way that we're going to complete the race is if we willfully faithfully choose to run his course that he has set before us. And that's going to involve us keeping our eyes on him. I was reading a a story. I don't know if you ever get kind of led around. I'm reading one thing and the next thing, something else pops up. But anyway, this thing popped up. And um, it was about this, this lady, Florence Chadwick. She was the first woman to swim aclo- across the English Channel both ways. She loved to swim. Ever since she was a little girl, she loved to swim and was a, was a long-distance swimmer. And so she was like, she pulls it off. But then she comes over here and she decides that she was going to sw- swim across the Catalina Channel. And that's what pulled me in. I'm like, hey, that's my turf. That's the ocean I surf in. What did she do? Well, it was back in the 50s. It was on July 4th. She had trained. She knew she would be the first one to swim across it. She was excited about that. The goal was set. The course was set. It was a 21 and half mile course for her. From Catalina to the, the coastland of California. But then there was the reality of the unexpected, as we see right here. You want to come up here with me? Come on up here. There we go. Hey, where's my high five? Okay. How you doing? Okay. Let's see, Daddy. You want to go give him a high five for me, Okay. All right, no, down there. Just go over here. He's going to meet you right down there. There you go. All right. I love it. Before this, Florence Chadwick, the reality of the unexpected was this. The weather was not what she planned it to be. Fog set in. Really dense, thick fog set in. And reports that there were a lot of sharks in the area of Catalina where she was going to take off. The currents had changed overnight. They were not in her favor. But at daybreak, she's like, I'm going for it. Just point me in the right direction. I I am going to go for it. But around the 15-hour mark, Florence began to doubt herself. She began to doubt that she could finish this swim. She had a whole team in a boat behind her. She had a sister. She had a mother. And they were encouraging her and just trying to say, keep going, keep going. But at the 16th hour, an hour later, she's like, I I just can't. And she stopped. They picked her up and they, they pulled her out of the water and they put her within the boat. They just sat there in this packed-in, socked-in fog. And the article went on to say is what she failed to realize was that the fog had prevented her from seeing that the coastline was just a few strokes away. It was less than a mile away from the California coastline. And later on, she was interviewed, and then she said this, and I quote, that she would have absolutely finished if she had a clear view of her goal. Paul's plan was God's plan for Paul's life, and he had a clear, very clear view of that. He never lost sight of it. Paul's purpose in life was God's purpose for his life. Paul's goal in life became God's goal for his life. Knowing Christ intimately, living for Christ passionately, and and longing to be with Christ eternally. Do you see that clearly before you today as a believer? Paul did, and he never quit because he always had a clear view of Jesus. For some Christians, they, they, they know God's plan and they know God's purpose for their life. The course has been set. They can even tell you that. God's goal for their life is set right in front of them. But then there's the reality of the unexpected. Life begins to play out, and it's not what they thought it would be. The currents and the tides begin to work against them. And the fog rolls in, and it's thick. The fog that sets in with a a broken marriage. The fog that sets in when a friend betrays. The fog that sets in because of unforgiveness. And then the fog becomes more dense and it grows into bitterness. The fog that sets in with unexpected illness. The fog that sets in with the news. That a loved one has passed. The fog that sets in with the pandemic. The fog of fear that grips the heart and alters the course of a life. And then complacency sets in. Disparity. And hopelessness. The fog of the unexpected rolls in. And that's all they see. If that's you, know that God God sees you right where you're at. Know that He loves you. And know that He is not done with you as we move into this new year. Remember that statement in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's important to see what you should see. It's important to look at God for who he is and don't doubt that, don't second guess that, don't marginalize that, don't become distracted from that. God God loves you, God is with you, God has an incredible plan for you and God is coming back to get you. Don't forget that. Let me give you just a couple of scriptures, just to, just to 2022 in our tank as we move forward. God being with us. Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. would not you love that verse? He will rejoice over you with singing. We had little Ezra run around our house yesterday, and, and if you don't, that's my two year old. He just turned two year old, grandson. <laughs> Nothing like watching your, your children chase a two year old around. It's great. <laughs> but the joy that that little dude brings to our, our house. I have a five-year-old Labrador, and Koa gets crazy excited when Nazareth comes around. Just this, the joy over my children. I'm watching Sergio, my son-in-law, my daughter, and I'm just, I'm just filled. I even told Lori this morning, I just can't even say, I just, I'm just so filled with joy. Imagine being so filled with joy looking at your children that you just start singing a song about it. I'm not going to do that right now in front of you, but... The Lord looks at you right now where you're at. With those kind of eyes. With that kind of heart. With so much joy over you that he just like sings about you. Isaiah 41, 10, classic. Fear not. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Yeah, he's got a plan. Yeah, he's got a purpose. And yes, there's a course set. And yes, there's going to be the reality of the unexpected. But he's with you, he's with us. Amen? There's no way we would be here two years after this crazy pandemic if the Lord wasn't with us. He's with us. And he loves you. You know, there's, there's people in our life right now that need to hear those words from you. Not just like the people who hear it all the time. There's people who haven't heard those words for a while. What happens when you hear those words, I love you, from someone that maybe you question their love or it's been a while, there's just this strange thing going on, and they just say they love you. Doesn't that move you? It does move you. And for some, children of God, it's been a while since they've thought about God and the fact that he just loves them. He loves you. He loves me. God is love in 1 John 4, verse 8. I love this passage. Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared to me of old, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Verse John 3, 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And the classic in Romans 8 is that Paul became so affirmed in God's love for him that he'd be like nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No unexpected anything. No death, nothing in life, no angels, no principalities or powers, nothing present or things to come, nor height, depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We have a great hymn that was written that that verse inspired Thomas Chisholm to write, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning." By morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. He wrote that at the close of his life. God's with us. God loves us. And God has an amazing plan for us. As We would read in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. See that. See that he's with you. See that he loves you. See he's got an amazing plan for you. And see that he's coming back to get you. Titus, Paul would say, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone was asking me recently, a lot of people have recently said, you know, Lance, do you you think Jesus is coming back soon? And, And I know as we get older, we say things like, well, I hope so. I'm not there. I'm, I'm older, I'm there, but I'm not, does that make sense? I'm not there. I'm not like, yeah, man, I hope he comes and just, California's so crazy and America's so crazy and the world's so crazy and the pandemic. and, and so, Yeah, just, I want him just to pull me out of the unexpected. I'm not there. There's, 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 this, there's this other thing. And I think about him coming for me. I just think about him coming for me. When I partake of communion, I think about him on the cross. And I moved at his love for me, his commitment, his sacrifice. When I think about him coming for me, guess what? I don't see you. I see me. <laughs> then I see us. It kind of brings out the little boy in me. Where I just want to be with my dad. And I think about that. Those that love his appearance. you got to love him. To, 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 to think about him coming and fall in love with that. But seeing that, seeing him for who he is. Seeing the course of your life as a Christian as his course that he has set for your life. The one, the author and the finisher of your faith. Who's with you. Who loves you. He's coming to get you. That is what will enable you to finish your course. That's what it is. Because you know what? The reality of the unexpected... In 2021, anybody have anything unexpected to happen in 2021? (laughs) We're gonna be hit by many unexpected things, challenges. I know Lance, we're leaving on the high note, right? Yes, yes, (laughs) we are, but where's your focus? As we entered into this pandemic, The first studies we gave, he said, This book, this Bible is filled with amazing narratives that will fill your life with hope. Take in more of these narratives than the world's narrative, and He will bring you through. Your faith will grow, fear will not. And you will look back on whatever day they say the pandemic's over. Ten more years, whatever. I don't know. It's according to what news outlet you're listening to. But you should be able to look back on that and say, look at how the Lord brought me through. And whatever other foggy stuff, whatever other currents... See him, and he will see you through. Amen? Lord, we give you our hearts, our lives. We just renew ourselves in our relationship with you. We would just ask for that, a renewal right now, and a reviving, Lord, where that is needed. Maybe a realigning, a a rededication of a heart. Whatever that is, Lord, that that we would need you to produce in our lives. Show us, Lord, and may we humble ourselves and give you that place. If we are off course, bring us back to your course. May we just leave here today so excited that you are never going to be done with us. You're never going to stop loving us. You're never going to stop singing over us because you're just so filled with joy when you look at us. May May we realize that no matter what comes our way, you see it. And that you'll bring us through. May we, if we're still on this planet, a year from now, may we look back over this 22 year and just, as, as Paul would say, I finished that course. I didn't quit. I was determined. I stayed focused on you, Jesus. And I have fulfilled what you have called me to be and called me to do. As hubbies and wives, as dads and moms, grandparents, co-workers, as relatives, as friends, as servants in the body of Christ. To your glory, we pray these things. Bless these people in their lives and what you've called them to be in this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right.